Amen. Now you can be seated. May be seated. Wow, that that was powerful. Can we give it up for Dylan and the worship team again? That was amazing. And, um, you know, last weekend, I uh, had the opportunity to speak at the uh, Mexico City campus retreat. And uh, I went through three different translators. Dylan, I think you would have done them proud, our brothers and sisters in Mexico. You know what I'm saying? But welcome to service. It's the campus highlight service. It's great to see the campus students in the house. Great to see you guys. I mean, the last time we were all together was a year ago in the, on a Sunday morning. Man, it's just good to be in church again, isn't it, guys? It's amazing. Of course, it's great to have everyone else virtual. We're excited that we can be a virtual and a physical in-person fellowship during these transition periods. But, uh, you know, it's, it's March 14th, and that is a very special day for Latoya and I. Six years ago today, we got... Sue, my slides are not working. That would have been a very dramatic entrance of a picture. Let's see if it works this time. Nope. Bang. All right, there we go. There we go. So we got married six years ago today in this building. I mean, this whole area had a facelift. You know what I'm saying? I think I stood right about here, right? When I married the woman of my dreams. So happy six-year anniversary, sweetie. And it's, uh, it's very amazing to be able to speak today uh, with my wife. And the theme is also kind of appropriate because we're talking about the family of God. And today we're talking about being one in Christ. And on my anniversary today, I'm going to talk about being one. How about that? Okay. So we're going to continue though. Last week we, we started out our Faithful Together series talking about the family of God. And then this week we're going to continue in that theme to talk about being one in Christ. So you can flip over your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to pick up. And my goal today is to do three things and to really guide our, our thought process in three different ways. And that is that in Jesus's new family, we receive new identities and become one in Christ. And we're going to talk about each little element of this today, that as we enter a new family, how that gives us a new identity and how that is what helps us be one in Christ. But we're going to pick up here in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to look at Jesus defining what it really means to be part of his family. So Matthew 12, picking up in verse 46. And the scriptures read, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we're going to start out by talking about Jesus's family. And Jesus does something so crucial right here, so crazy right here. He, he defines the, redefines the way we view relationships. And, and so, you know, we, we read this and it can kind of seem 
like just weird. You're like, Jesus, what do you, do you, did you forget like the name of your mother? You know, Jesus is Mary. Did you forget that? Like, it's just kind of weird. I mean, it seems a little disrespectful even like that's your mom right there. Like uh, what's going on right here, Jesus? And it's interesting because in our culture, family is important. Family is important in the American culture, but it, family is barely important in comparison to how important it would have been to this culture. You know, 2,000 years ago, I mean, it wasn't a Western culture. It was an Eastern culture. It was a community-focused culture instead of an individual-focused culture. In the agricultural society, the family was everything. The people that worked your fields to help you live were your sons and daughters, right? Like, you, you lived with grandmommy and granddaddy and great-grandmommy and great-grand. Y'all all lived. Like, the family was everything. So for how weird this seems to us, just multiply that by 20, and that would have been the whoa moments that the Jews would have read this in. So what was Jesus really getting at? And before I go too far, I, I do want to make sure, okay, so Jesus does talk about honoring his father and his mother, right? Like, he took care of Mary in an amazing way. I mean, on the cross when he was being crucified, I remember Mike doing a, a, a communion maybe three or four years ago about this. Some of Jesus' last breath was to take care of his mother. I mean, Jesus took care of his family in incredible ways. So teens out there, next time your mom calls you, don't say, who is my mother? Okay, that, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Okay, don't do that. But that, that's not what he's getting at. So what is he getting at? When Jesus turns and looks at his disciples, and he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he was saying something profound. You know, Jesus' most used term for God was Father. And for him, it wasn't just some catchy phrase. It wasn't some new, cool name just to use. He meant it. The will of my Father in heaven. If you follow his will, then you will be my brothers and sisters. What is he doing right there? He's saying, you know, when you commit to God as Father, and, and by following out his will, you become his son. And then when I commit to God as my father and commit to his will, then I become his son. So what does that make us? Brothers, family. And in these couple quick sentences, Jesus is redefining the way we view the most intimate and special relationships to us. That it's no longer blood, but it's the will of God that unites us. And this was the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful movement. And Jesus is saying, with this being the case, and it, all you have to do is follow God's will as the Father, then it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. In this culture, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or not, if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter what you've done or how much you got junk in the trunk that you don't want no one else to know. If, as long as you come to God and follow his will, then you... And you, and you, can be part of the family of God. How amazing is that? That God opens up his family to us. Amen, church? And so, as we continue in this, though, he doesn't just allow us to enter him as a family, but then we receive a new identity in his family. And he does this right here. I mean, you imagine being in the crowd, and then Jesus pointing at you and saying, this is my mother. And you're like... 
dude, cool. <laughs> and this is my sister. No way, right? Like he, he redefines and gives them an identity right there. And God is all about giving us new identities, isn't he? I mean, sometimes he literally changes people's names. From, Abraham, from Abram to Abraham, from Simon to Peter, from Saul to Paul, right? He, he does this, and Jesus is all about redefining what it means to be human. But even more, he's not about redefining it. He's about showing us who we were originally meant to be and the identities that he gave us. So he gives us this new identity. And I want to go to a, a, one of my favorite verses here in Romans chapter 8 uh, to look at this new identity. In Romans 8 and verse 14, Paul, the Spirit uh, uh, inspires Paul to write this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I actually think it was the third scripture I ever memorized. And I loved how it redefined for me who I am at my core. That, and I love the, 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 the words that are used here. That Paul says that we have the spirit that has brought about your adoption to sonship. That when you get brought into the family of God, you're literally adopted by God. I mean, is there a bigger, more transformative word in our identities in the English language than adoption? Think about what happens when someone gets adopted, when they go from, because their name just doesn't change. That's like the, the very minimal, right? It's, they go from living in a communal orphanage to living with a family, to going someplace where they might not own a single possession to suddenly being a part of everything the family owns, where they go from barely knowing anyone in the world loves them to entering a place of love. I mean, adoption changes everything about your identity. From the way you view yourself to the way that you view the world. It changes your whole direction in life. And this is the word that the, the Spirit inspired Paul to use about us entering the family of God. Adoption to sonship. It's one of the greatest identity shifts a human can ever go through is to receive the Spirit of God and be adopted into his family. And Toy is going to speak more about this identity shift that we enter as we get the Spirit. family. It's so good to be here and worship in person. And I love this idea of an identity change because um, obviously Jordan mentioned it's our anniversary. So happy anniversary to him. Um, but we got married six years ago, standing right here. And I had an identity change. My name changed, right? And it sounds like maybe trivial, but for me, it was kind of a big deal. I remember the moment it hit me, I was checking the mail um, a couple months after we had gotten married and I got my new social security card in the mail. And it had the same number. It's a number that I associated with me forever, but it had this new name. And I sat in the car like, LaToya Massey? 
who's that? (laughs) Like, who's LaToya Massey? It was so different to me. And it was the first time that it hit me that I'm like, oh, I'm not LaToya Belton anymore to the whole world, right? The law is going to look at me differently from, from now on. But it took a while to make sense to me. Like, I remember almost accidentally signing my maiden name on documents a couple times, or I'd be at the dentist or the doctor, and they'd come out and say, Mrs. Massey? And I'm like, Oh, that's sorry. Yeah, that's me. You know, like, it took a minute for me to own it and to apply it to my day-to-day life. And as Jordan was talking about this lesson and preparing for it, I was thinking, man, that sounds a lot like becoming a disciple. That we're adopted into a new family where it is in Christ that we live and move and have our being, like it says in Acts 17, not in our feelings or our past or, or our preferences. And For 11 years, I've been learning and relearning how to be one with this family, how to be one with Christ. And I have to constantly commit to asking myself, who is signing off on this day? Who is signing off on my tone? Who is signing off on my attitude? Who is signing off on my social media posts? Because that had to change a lot. (laughs) Uh, Who is signing off on the way that I uh, handle conflict? Who's signing off in the way that I even speak to myself? We talked about that a little bit with the in-town women on Wednesday is how we speak to ourselves. Is it the old me or the new me? And even who is signing off, thinking of my anniversary, of the way that I speak to my husband? (laughs) And I wanted to share a brief story. The first time I ever cried as a wife... Jordan didn't do anything, so don't go beat him up or anything. Nothing had happened. I was just having some alone time, and a sentence popped into my head, and I went, oh, no, I'm a disciple wife. (laughs) And I thought that because, for me, my sinful nature is my mouth. I'm rude. I'm disrespectful. I'm snarky. You can call it sarcastic, witty, whatever it is, the world values it, but God does not, (laughs) the way that I use my words. And so God calls wives in his word to respect their husbands. And I had never had to respect a man before. I didn't grow up with a father in my family. I have two older brothers, but like, they're my brothers, you know? And so it hit me that my old way of communicating was not an option. I wasn't just a wife. I was a disciple wife, and I, cr- I cried <laughs> because I knew it was going to be the hardest thing that I had ever done, was to respect my husband. That simple phrase was going to require every bit of the Holy Spirit's transformation for me, and thank God for the word, and thank God for the Holy Spirit's power. But Christ's identity comes before all my other titles. It has to. It has to be, Jesus has to be Lord of everything, every area of my life. There's no part of my life that cannot be submitted and should not be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And and it comes and goes. Even a few years ago, I was at a conference and I was standing in line to get my badge checking in when we we used to do those things. And I was in the last name B line. My my maiden name is Belton. And I was standing in line waiting for my badge and someone walked up and was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm getting my badge. Like, why are you in this line? I was like, because, oh, okay, let me, let me move, you know? And and every now and then I forget, you know? Like my old self kind of sneaks up. Same in my discipleship. Like there's areas of my life where the old me tries to sneak up. And what's cool is after all this time, I feel like Latoya Massey has become more normal. (laughs) I've owned it more and it it feels more real. And I check the mail and if it says Latoya Belton, I'm like, who is that? You know, it seems odd to look at that name now. 
And honestly, family, what a joy that is spiritually, right? Thinking of being adopted into God's family. What an honor and privilege and joy it is for me to look at my old sinful self and feel a separation and feel the distance and feel I'm not her anymore. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. I don't think we would have been standing here six years married if this was allowed to do whatever it wanted in my head. Um, But amen that I can identify with Jesus as one with his character. That's an honor. Oh my God, I'd love to be like Jesus. With his purpose to love people the way that he loves. Oh my gosh, my selfishness doesn't have a place. Thank God. And I'm grateful for this church because it's given me a place to learn how to own that in my daily life, learn how to own being a disciple wife, learning how to own being a disciple mom now to almost two boys. And and honestly, just learning how to own being a disciple because that's what's most important. And I'm grateful for that. Can uh, all the brothers with a disciple wife say amen? It's a good thing to find a woman that loves the Lord. But guys, this all goes back to Jesus rewriting our identity, inviting us into his family. And what's so crucial about this is that means that every, that, th- that every other difference we could have pales in comparison to our, our identity in Christ. That we have more in common with each other regardless of our differences because we are family in Christ. And there's this quote that I, I reworded a little bit and that I think really gets this across. That you have more in common with a widowed mother living in the slums in Indonesia that is a disciple than you do with a coworker that lives in your neighborhood that has your ethnicity that is an atheist. I think this is really important to sink in. That someone across the world that has nothing in common with you, grew up in a different culture, looks different than you, has a different gender, has a completely different socioeconomic climate, like all that kind of stuff. Someone that you never would ever think that you would ever be united with or connected with. But if they're a disciple of Jesus and they're in the family of God, then you are more united with them then your neighbor that looks the same as you, that works at the same place as you, that kids go to the same school as you, that has so many different similarities. But if they're an atheist, you're, you have more in common with that person across the world because it's the, it's the spirit of Jesus that unites us. Where we get in trouble is when we start focusing on the differences we can see instead of the spirit of God we can't see. And we have to remember that it's God's spirit that unites us more than anything else. The craziest differences that we can have that are worldly pale in comparison to us having the same identity in Jesus. So where do you get your identity from today? Is it being a son or a daughter of God? Or or do you define yourself more off of things of this world? Because I think some of us this morning need to take a good look in the mirror and really ask ourselves, is, is me being a son of God or daughter of God my primary identity? Amen? So let's continue, and uh, we're going to go on to the last little part that we're focusing on today. Because we are invited to Jesus' new family, and he gives us a new identity, then we can become one with each other. 
And we can be united of one heart and one mind. And I'm going to throw up on the screen Matthew 10. Uh, We've talked about this a couple times, but if Jesus forms his new family and redefines what it means to have your most close intimate relationships, we can look to Jesus' 12, the most intimate people in his life, and see him doing this. And uh, we've talked about the differences here, but there are only two people in the list of 12 that have a descriptor that's not familial, right? That's not like a, a, you know, they're the son of such and such. That was very common during the day. And uh, there's only two people besides Judas Iscariot who betrayed him, which is for other reasons. But Matthew, the writer of the gospel of Matthew, decides to include his own occupation as a tax collector. No other, no other job titles listed. And then he decides to list Simon the Zealot, his religious affiliation, when no other religious affiliation is mentioned. And he, did, he does this for a reason. So you've got to ask yourself the question, why does Matthew, as he's writing this, decide to only include those two descriptions? What was he trying to show us about the way Jesus built family? What was Matthew trying to show us about how Jesus united men? and brought people together of one heart and one mind. Because if you know, we don't have time to do a deep dive into it. I've actually done two lessons on this in the last 18 months, so you can go back and watch those. But a a zealot and a tax collector were like enemies, right? I mean, zealots literally wanted to kill. Not like they hated them, not like they didn't like them. Like they wanted to physically kill tax collectors. They were the exact opposite in every single way. So why does Matthew decide to include only their distinctions? Well, it's because he's saying, we never should have been family. There is no way under any circumstance, me as a tax collector and Simon as a zealot, enemies should have ever been able to be one. Yet somehow, some way, Jesus brought us together in his family to be one. What an incredible insight to God's family and what Jesus prioritizes. And when Jesus gives us a new identity, we can become one no matter what our differences are. How amazing is God's family that this is true? For all of us that he can bring such different people from different places no matter where we've been together as one in his family. And I love that we can see Jesus' fingerprints all across North River. And that we can see Jesus' fingerprints and Jesus' new identity all across our congregation in such amazing ways. And what I want to do right now is I want to show a video describing this and really giving a, a, a video collage of different faces of North River and how we are one together. So if we're ready, we can play the clip. Paul. Esther Sang. Juan Cortez. Madison Dock. Carl Lynn. Suzanne Carmen. Crystal Payne. Kyler Kadinsky. Jeff Reese. Tony Karamidis. Sylvia Wyatt. I am a father to four crazy boys. I am a young professional living her best life in the city. I am Chinese American. I am Kenyan American. I am Mexican American. A Nigerian. I'm a Filipino and Spaniard American. And a wife. I'm an empty nester. I'm a black man. And I'm a student. I'm a new dad. But above everything else, 
But above everything else. 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 And above all else. But above all else. But above all else. More important than anything else. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm 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 a disciple of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. And we are one in God's family. And we are one in God's family. And we are one in God's family. We are one in God's family. And we are one in God's family. And we are one in God's family. 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 Amen. Isn't it amazing to be a part of God's family? And to have a picture and a representation of what that looks like. And we are committed to this at North River. You know, in our vision statement, I don't know how many of us know it. It'll be good to go on the website and look. But that's the first line of our vision statement. We are a diverse family of believers who answered the call to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And we truly believe this, that Jesus wants all nations to be saved, Matthew 28, right? And we can see that in each other. You know, yesterday uh, we met with our missions advisory group. And if you don't know, that's our group that really focuses on missions and helps us have a strategy and know uh, where we're going and how we're doing it. And uh, because we care at North River, not just to save all nations here in Atlanta, but across the world. And so we're part of different missions groups, and we support them through our Generosity Sunday season of giving, and uh, we got a lot of really cool things going on. As of this year, actually, as of January 1st, North River is a part of the Caribbean Mission Society. And we are really excited about that, and we're going to be evangelizing and financially supporting, building relationships, going on mission trips to support Trinidad and, and churches across the Caribbean. And what's so special is that we get to do this together and partner with the family of God that's already there. You know, the campus ministry is such an incredible picture of God's family. The last time we checked, actually, there are 42 different nations in the campus ministry. It's so awesome. And we go on mission trips every summer. And what's so cool is that when we go... We, we show up and we meet the church there. And what, what a blessing it is to be part of an international church family, the International Churches of Christ. And we get to know a part of God's family all across the world. And when we show up in a foreign country, these random people, this, a random family that's never met us, that usually doesn't even speak our same language, invites us into their home and lets us stay with them for a month. When's the last time you let a campus student stay in your house for a month? <laughs> and they invite when they can't speak the same language, when they don't even know them, and they say, hey, you're family. Here's my home. Here's my food. Here's access to my kids. I trust you all the way across the world, but because we're family. What a blessing it is to remember that. And we're excited to build those relationships with God's family down in the Caribbean. But the last thing I want to close this on is that if we are, if we're invited into Jesus' new family, and he gives us a new identity, and then we become one, the last thing I just want us to think about before we close out is what that should mean about our loyalty 
to each other and how committed we are to each other. Because you've heard that kind of idea like a family that eats together stays together or a family that prays together stays together. How about you don't need any other additive, just Jesus' family stays together. How about that one? Where Jesus' family will always stay with each other. You know, I have a brother named Jonathan. He's incredible. He's better than me in every way. But um, we, you know, he's my best friend in the world. He's my brother. You know, but honestly, I have hurt my brother more than anyone else in the world. And before you judge me, we were middle school boys together, okay? Like, you probably hurt your sibling the most too, okay? But regardless of how much we hurt each other, regardless of how much we disagree with each other, he is always my brother. And I'll always be loyal to him. I'm never going to go anywhere without being connected to him. And it's the same thing in God's church. It's the same thing in God's family. That we are united with each other through the Spirit of God. And that and, and why is that? It's because our identity is the same. I think a lot of us got to start asking ourselves about our loyalty to one another and start examining, what do you do when you disagree with another brother or sister in the family of God? Like when you, when you with another disciple of Jesus, when you disagree with them about something worldly, that's not spiritual, but something worldly, how do you handle them? How do you, how do you handle that disagreement? How do you interact with them? Maybe it's you disagree something about culture. Maybe you disagree about how you should spend your money. Or maybe it's about your music or your politics or your sports or how to raise your kids. I don't care what it is when you disagree with somebody in the body of Christ. How do you handle that? Because when you slander your brother or sister, when you become overly critical and all you see is the differences and not what unites you, when you repeatedly only lift up the things that y'all differ in, what are you doing? You're saying that those worldly differences are bigger than Christ that unites you. You're saying that the things that unite you in Jesus are not as powerful as the thing that separates you in the world. And when you overly focus on these things, you allow those things to change the way you interact and then change the way that you deal with, change the way you talk about, or even change the way that you think about them. I would challenge you that your identity is not in Christ as your primary identity. Of course, we all wear a piece of our identity as a son or daughter of God. But when we say that that difference in the world is going to make me split apart from you, then we're saying that difference is more part of my identity than the identity that unites us in Christ. Are you all following me? And if you find yourself in that place this morning, you can take a good hard look in the mirror. And I would challenge you that Christ is not your main identity. And not only does that hurt the family of God and it causes divisions and hate and slander and bitterness, but it hurts you. Yeah. And it hurts you. And it hurts the, the incredible joy you can experience being a part of God's family. And the incredible joy that you can experience being united with people that differ than you. It, it, it hurts the incredible joy of being the bright light to this world. In a time when the world is splitting apart more than anything else, that Christ wants to use us as a light to be united together. And, and Satan wants to rob you of those things. 
So do not let a difference in Christ become your identity, a difference in something in this world become your identity over being united in Christ. Because above all else, we are sons and daughters of God. And we are part of God's family. And we know as I transition that the only way we could ever do that is through the blood of Christ. I have practicals. I don't have time for that. I'm going to put it on the website. So in our family group discussion this week, you can go check the practicals on the websites. I do want to make sure before I close to say thank you for everyone that helped in the video, and especially thank you to Juan Cortez putting that video together. So grateful for you, Juan. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to say a prayer for our communion, and I want to encourage all of us in this time to really sit in and meditate on being a son and daughter of God. Amen. Father God, why in the world would you, almighty God, want us to be part of your family? It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason or rhyme or arithmetic to it, God, that you love us and want us to be your sons and daughters. God, who are you and how loving of a being are you? You're just amazing. And we praise you for that. And God, I pray that as we remember the blood of Christ that gives us an opportunity to put on Christ, that we can remember how you've invited us into your family, how you've given us a new identity, and how through that we can become one in Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.